But Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day where we can always come together to worship and praise your name. I remember those who are home right now worshiping with us through Zoom. May you bless their homes. And for the ones that came out here, thank you for giving us your traveling mercies. Keep us warm. Keep us safe. And at this moment, as we open your word, may your words be spoken and may we hear with open hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The sermon title for this morning is called Delayed Travel Plans. Delayed Travel Plans. This might resonate with some of y'all because you may have experienced one time in your life or several times plans that were delayed. Maybe your plans were delayed because of a malfunction on a vehicle, a plane was malfunctioning or your car had a flat tire. Or maybe your plans were delayed because weather prevented your plans to happen. Bad weather in Colorado, we have snow that can just come about and cause uh, traffic unexpectedly. And then maybe your travel plans were delayed because there was an, an ar- there was an argument that took place at home or in the car. For me, I remember a time when that happened, when our delayed travel plans took place because of an argument. When I was 15 years old, when uh, we were going to a Pathfinder camporee, and we had two 15 passenger vans, and I was in the first van, which was driven by one of our chaperones, and his wife was with us in the passenger seat. Then we had another van, another 15 passenger van, that had our, um, our Pathfinder leader and his wife was in there. Uh, he was the one driving that van. Anyways, sometime in the middle of the trip, halfway point between Houston and Austin, uh, as we were heading to Nameless Valley Ranch, our chaperone got into a fight. Husband and wife got into a fight at the front of the vehicle. It was so funny to us because we could tell as teenagers that they were trying to keep it on the down low. They were whispering to each other their frustrations with one another. You could tell that they were frustrated because they were sneering at each other. Their eyes went down, but they were just whispering the whole time. I told you so. No, I told you so. Long story short, they got so engulfed in their argument that they didn't realize, he didn't realize, the driver didn't realize that he was driving 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. So what ended up happening? We ended up seeing red and blue lights behind us as we were pulled over by the police. That argument that husband and wife had at the front of the car ended up delaying us to our destination of Nameless Valley Ranch. I share this story because the Israelites had a similar experience on their way to the promised land. Their 
there in um, Kadesh Barnea, they had an argument. They had a split amongst themselves that caused a delay in their travel plans to the promised land. We see this story in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 14. So I would ask you to turn your Bibles to that, to Numbers 13 through 14. And we're going to spend our time, the, the entire time of the sermon, we're going to stay within this story. Before I read the story, I just wanted to give you a quick background of what's happening up to this point. The Israelites find themselves in Kadesh Barnea. They have been traveling for the last two years. They came from uh, Egypt, as you know. They escaped uh, Pharaoh. They went through the Red Sea on dry land, and they've gone through the Sinai Peninsula. If you remember the Sinai Peninsula, it looks like a letter V. They start from the west side, heading down to the south to Mount Sinai, which is on the uh, pointed part of the Mount Sinai, uh, of the Sinai Peninsula. And there on Mount Sinai, you might remember that they had the experience where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. They had the experience of the idol worship of the golden calf and so forth. And then once from Mount Sinai, they went north to Kadesh Barnea. And Kadesh Barnea is actually a special place for the ancient Israelites. At this time, Kadesh Barnea, you might remember, is where Moses struck the rock and water came out. Kadesh Barnea was also the place where Miriam, Moses' sister, passed away. In later times, when they become a kingdom, they actually use this city to be a... Um, a fort where they built fortifications so that way the enemies from the south cannot attack um, Israel when they finally became a nation. But before they become a nation, they are here at Kadesh Barnea and something that is very important happens. They're about to enter the promised land. Kadesh Barnea is right south of the land of Canaan. They would have to cross the hill country through the valley, and then they would be in the promised land. Looking at it in the map, it was a matter of 30 to 50 miles than they would be inside the promised land. It was a stark contrast of where they were at. Kadesh Barnea was desert. It was empty. It was rocks and sand and dirt. While on the other hand, the promised land was green. It was lush. It was alive. It had people living in it. It had animals and rivers and lakes flowed. So they were right at the brink of the promised land. And all they had to do was enter it. So now we come to Numbers chapter 13. In verse 1, this is what it says. Since they're right outside of the promised land, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites. Jumping to verse 17, it says, Moses sent 12 um, scouts. He sent 12 scouts and he gives them this mission in verse 18. I want you to see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? 
Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or no trees? Do you, I want you to do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So Moses gives this command that comes from God to these scouts to look at that land. This was an ancient practice done back in the days, especially amongst the ancient Israelites. You might recall in a different story when Joshua actually goes into the promised land, into Jericho, he sends how many? Two spies. Two spies to review the land. And why would they do this? Well, number one, they would do this because for the sake of safety. They wanted to know what was that area like? What were the people like? It would be very foolish of them to send their entire population and their entire people into the land only to get attacked. So they would do this, number one, for safety. Number two, they wanted to determine just what Moses asked them. What is the fortification like? What are the people like? Maybe they're kind. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're going to be our enemies. So Moses gives them this command. Then in verse 25, it tells us that at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And now they're going to give a report to Moses. I want to pause here for a second. And I want you to think about what this must have been like. Consider yourselves as part of the 12. Maybe you're one of the 12 scouts that Moses has commanded. If you are one of the 12 scouts, that means then, think about this. Now listen to this part. You were one of the first people to see the promised land. You were one of the first people before any other Israelites, even before Moses himself, you were, you were one of the first people to see the promised land. How glorious must have that been? How exciting that must have been for the people, for, for Joshua and Caleb as part of the 12 and the 10 others to see the promised land. But I think their excitement went quickly from excitement to fear. Let's read further. In verse 26, it tells us that they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Don't take that phrase literally, my, my dear friends. You may have heard this phrase many times. Some of, some of you might know this and what it really means. Milk and honey is an old saying from ancient times. Milk and honey, what is milk? Where do you get milk from? When a land is called as something as milk and honey, flowing with milk and honey, it means that it is lush. It's got rich soil. With this soil, you can grow crops. And, what do you, what, and once crops bloom, it produces what? It can produce honey. It can produce vegetables, nutrients that you can eat. And then milk comes from cattle, livestock, goats, cow. And so this is another phrase. Milk means that you can grow animals or you can raise animals in this land. So what the... 
report is, what the scouts bring back here is that they're saying that this land is exactly what God has told us about. It's a land that does flow with milk and honey. And they give proof of it by showing them the fruit. But the people who live there, now this is where the report takes a turn. But the people who live there are are powerful and the cities are fortified and they're very large. We saw even the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites who live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then one of the younger scouts, one of the younger spies speaks up. His name is Caleb. Verse 30 tells us that Caleb silences the people. And then he says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. And the second he says that, the 10 other scouts, they talk back immediately. And they said, we can't attack those people because they are stronger than we are. There's a sense of fear. They're seeing this beautiful promised land and and instead of seeing its glory, instead of acknowledging its beauty, what do they see? They see the fear because of the people that live there. They've forgotten how God has led them from Egypt, uh, how God has led them through the Red Sea. And instead they see the people that are inhabited, uh, that live in that area, and all they can think about is their fear. And so in verse 32, this part is shocking. It says, and then they spread, who? The 10 scouts. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. The key word that I want us to look at here is that word spread. In the Hebrew, it means the actual word is deba. Deba, the true definition of it, means to defame, defamation. So in essence, what these people are doing is that they're sending defamation among the Israelites of a bad report about the land that they explored. Now, what are they doing here? They are taking their fear And they're turning their fear into selfishness because they're afraid. Now they're going to want to be selfish. They don't want to go into that land. They don't want to face the challenge head on. Instead, they want to run from the challenge because of their fear. So fear begats selfishness and selfishness then begats lies, a false report. And that's what they do. They continue with this false report. They say the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great in size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes and we looked the same to them. They're spreading this defaming defamation of a report throughout the entire people. And what do the people do? Sadly, it tells us in, in numbers chapter 14, verse one, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. 
All the Israelites, now here's another key word. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be, ha- uh, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt instead? And then they said to each other, maybe we should choose new leaders and then they can take us back to Egypt. In just a small, short time, in these few verses, we see the people of Israel just going haywire. Their mind goes from one thing to another thing. They're creating these crazy thoughts. They're jumping to the craziest uh, situations and possibilities, thinking that they're going to fall upon the sword. Did they just forget what God has done for them when they went through Egypt and escaped Pharaoh? I told you to think about the other key word here. The other key word here is that the Israelites grumbled. That word grumbled has a big meaning to it. To us, it sounds like we're just grumbling, right? We're complaining. But in the Hebrew language, the Hebrew word that's used here, you're going to love this, okay? The Hebrew word is loon. I like to say that it, they started acting loony, you know, because of, uh, because of the news they received. But this Hebrew word loon is more than just a verb. In our Bible, we see that it's just a, it's an action of complaining. But in the Hebrew word, loon really means more of not only is it an action, not only is it a verb, but it's also a state of being. The people were grumbling and their grumbling was coming from inside. That was what was a state of being. Now, I want you to follow me here, okay? The 10 scouts give a false report because of their fear. And then the people hear this false report, so they're internalizing it inside their head. They're taking that information, and their head is processing this, processing this information. Once they're processing this information, not only do they hear it, but they also believe it. And now they become frustrated with it. And once they become frustrated with it, the neurons send messages down their brain, from their brain, down to their stomach. And this is the true meaning of loon. It's that when you start feeling so stressed out, your body can feel that stress. Now, I want you to think for yourself, when you feel stress, where do you feel it? You feel it in your stomach sometimes, right? You can get nauseous. Some people may even have diarrhea because they're so stressed out. Maybe you feel your stress here in the lower back or here in the upper back. Regardless, that stress is usually around the torso area. And this is what the Hebrews referred to when someone is absolutely frustrated they're feeling it here that now it starts to come from the inside and it's almost like vomit it's being regurgitated and being thrown out that frustration is now spoken it's shared it's yelled it's whatever verb you want to use that just seems violent and very frustrated and angry that's what's happening here with the israelites 
Their grumbling that's coming from deep down within them is spewing out fear and turning uh, rationality into something being irrational. They're becoming emotional. So much so that they can't think clearly. The Bible tells us, for the sake of time, because there's so much to read here, I'll just summarize of what happens next. After the people grumble, after the people are frustrated, it tells us that Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly. And then Joshua and Caleb, they speak up. They remind the people, they try to remind the people, and they say, remember what God has done for us. This land is going to be our land. And if we go in, God is going to be with us just as much as he was with us back then. He's, they are, Joshua and Caleb, trying to knock some sense into the minds of the ten scouts and in the minds of the Israelite people. But here's the part that's just so shocking. The whole assembly wouldn't listen. Chapter 14, verse 10, it says the whole assembly heard, after they heard all this, they threatened and they talked about stoning Joshua and Caleb. They thought of stoning them. I believe this is a good example. I believe this tells us this action that they want to stone good advice tells me that the people have come to a point of no return. Their stubbornness, their pride has reached an all-time level that they're unable to hear and listen. Not only listen and hear Caleb and Joshua, but most of all, God speaking. And at that point, I believe that's why God decides to pronounce judgment. He tells Moses, you'll see this in verse 11. He says, how much longer will these people treat me with contempt? How much longer will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you, Moses, greater and stronger than they. And then the next few verses, you see that Moses pleads with God. He intercedes for the people. He asks them, please show mercy and forgive them of their sins. And then in verse 20, we see that the Lord replies to Moses and he says, I have forgiven them as you asked. So God does listen to Moses. Nevertheless, God says, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath. A question that a lot of people ask at this point in this passage is, why was God so harsh? Why was God so harsh in causing a whole generation not to see the promised land? I believe our answer was back to where we read in verse 10 that the whole assembly talked about stoning Joshua and Caleb. I believe that's, that, that one verse tells us 
that their hearts had gotten so hard, they couldn't listen anymore. And since they couldn't listen anymore to the, the, to the Spirit of God, they couldn't repent. And God proclaimed, proclaimed that judgment. The other thing that I'd like to explain here is that sometimes we have to see this, that when God pronounces judgment, he's not only stating judgment, but he's also stating the natural consequence of one's actions. Think about it. Kadesh Barnea is on the south end of the land of Canaan. There was no other place to go to. And instead of going full throttle to face that challenge, the people was fighting God. They were fighting God. They were arguing with Joshua and Caleb. And instead of going into the promised land, they said, we're just going to, what other choice were they going to do? The natural consequence at that point was going to be wilderness for another 40 years. God told them in this passage right here in chapter 14, he tells them that I'm not, I'm going to step back. And that's what God does. When he steps back, I want you to remember this part. When God is not present, our life is in disarray. When God is not present, life does not make sense. And I believe that's why the Israelites, out of natural consequence of the actions and choices they made, I believe that's why they were lost in the wilderness for the next 40 years. So what ended up happening then, brothers and sisters, is here's a Sinai pen Peninsula. They're on the north side of that at Kadesh Barnea. Instead of going in, they, they pulled a U-turn and they went back down to the Sinai Peninsula and they remained there for another 40 years until finally they were brought into the promised land. That's because God said, okay, if you don't want me here, then I shall step back. And he did just that. And the people in their own stubborn and, and foolish way, they got their just desserts, as what the saying usually goes. So the delay in their travels, the delay was not due to the giants, if that's what you're thinking. If you're thinking that they didn't go into the promised land and you're blaming it on the giants, it's, the delay was not because of the giants. The delay was not because of God causing them to get lost in, in the wilderness for another 40 years. The delay was not the giants. The delay was not God, but the perception of defeat and that God could not provide the means for a victory. That's the delay. I'm going to say that again because I think it's very important. The delay in the Israelites' um, travels into the promised land was the perception of defeat and that God could not provide the means for victory. Why am I sharing this message today? I think this message is very relevant to us as Castle Rock Adventist Church. Because just like the Israelites who were at the gates of the promised land, which would have only taken them several months to cross into, they found themselves pulling a U-turn. Just like the Israelites at the gates, we too, as a church, Castle Rock Adventist Church, we find ourselves at the gates of our promised land. I'm going to put that in quotation marks. What's our promised land? I believe our chapter, uh, our church is in a new chapter of its existence. 
We are looking at new goals. We are looking for a new pastor. We are looking at new ways to influence and affect the community, to affect it in a, in a very positive way. And I think those are all good and positive lofty goals. I am grateful to say that I don't think we're like the Israelites. I don't think we're grumbling with one another. I don't think we're fighting each other. But there's a lesson that can be learned there. And that lesson is, may we continue to work with one another. May we continue to, to come together through God's presence, through God's help and God's guidance. May we continue to be that, that group of people, Seventh-day Adventists at Castle Rock, to be that church for the people here. Other lessons that I wanted to point out for, uh, from this passage is that I think we can take an example from Moses. Moses sent out 10 scouts or 12 scouts to look and observe and study the promised land. I think we can take that lesson too, that we should study and scout out Castle Rock Adventists or Castle Rock, the town of Castle Rock. And what do I mean by scouting out the town of Castle Rock? What I mean by that is we can take the time to understand what are the needs of the community. Let's go out there and look at what are the people of this community needing. And also look at the demographics of this community, young adults with young families, with young children. So then that way, once we scout out the community, we then gather our data and then we create a report just like the scouts did. Their report was that the land was, was flowing with milk and honey. And may our report come back and state that there are people here who are hungry for God. Once we have that report, then we create plans. We come together as a church. We come together with our new pastor. If it comes to that point um, where, where we are in our planning, we come together and then we create a plan a plan that can be aligned and can affect this community and, um, and, accomp- and to accomplish our, our goals. Once those plans are created, I believe the one most important lesson is to place God in front of all of these. Just like what Joshua and Caleb said, when they reminded the people that God was with them at all times. May we remember as a church how God has blessed, uh, blessed us. How has, God, uh, how has God led us through the three years of our existence, for example? So that way we can be grateful. That way we can always praise Him. And having God in the forefront of all of our plans, perhaps we won't fall into the same trap as the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea. Brothers and sisters, I truly believe the story of Moses and the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea are truly relevant for us today. And I wanted to share this with you because I truly believe we can find some wonderful lessons. And so as we continue on as a church, I pray that the Lord continue to bless us and bless you and bless each and every one of your homes. Let's pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, thank you so much for how you lead your people. And through the story that we read just now, that we heard from the book of Numbers, 
we can glean so much wisdom from it, O Lord. We see how you led the people of Israel. We see how you wanted them to to be fruitful and to experience the promised land and to be grateful for that. We can see that, O Lord, and we want that for us today, especially where we, we are at as a church, Castle Rock Adventist Church. I pray that you may continue to lead us. May we continue to see you working in our lives, working in our church, and give us the passion to touch the lives of those in this community. Be in the plans that we make. I hope and pray that the plans we create are aligned to your will and your purpose. Bless us this day. Bless our families and our homes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.